Welcome back to FinTalk, brought to you by Vermin. Here we discuss pressing topics in fintech, regtech, covering regulatory, collateral, and digital across banking and insurance and finance. Vermic has been proud to deliver innovative software solutions in the industry with stability and cost efficiency for a global roster of clients. With over 20 years of trusted transformation in finance and insurance, we're bringing industry's top expertise to FinTalk. I'm Gerald Akta, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Welcome back to FinTalk, brought to you by Vermeg. I'm Jared Akta, your host. Uh, so today's session, we're going to be talking a lot more about blockchain, CLTs, CBDCs, all things digital. So today, I'm delighted to have with us Martin Warner. Martin, thank you for taking the time out. I know how busy you are. For those that don't know you, it would be great to get an introduction and kind of where, you, where you've come from and how you've got to where you are now. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the, the welcome and uh, warm introduction there. So my background is I came from a capital markets and technology background. So I did that for 30 years working for big banks, working in my own company with customers who are banks, hedge funds, asset managers, etc. And in 2018, I fell down the crypto blockchain rabbit hole. It was a pivotal moment for me to understand what the technology did and how it could potentially change how we work in in uh, finance and capital markets. So I'm very much come from an industry background into the blockchain. I've gone deep into the blockchain, and I'm currently working on a project called T-Grade, which we launched in in the summer. And it's a level one blockchain with a regulatory framework around it to try and address some of the issues that we we face in crypto. Thanks, Martin. That's um, quite a detailed uh, experience back there. I know Vermeg as a provider, we work with a lot of blockchains as well, and we do connectivities from our software platforms. Just for everyone listening, can we describe what a blockchain is? Yeah, blockchain is one of those things that you know people can talk and talk and talk about, and uh, you can go very deep very quickly. But essentially, it's there's two flavors of it. One, I think, it's an important distinction to have is one is run by a set number of institutions generally who connect up to themselves and they run a closed network. And the other ones, the public blockchains, ones you've heard of like Bitcoin, Ethereum and so on, they work by having a whole network of independent nodes that connect to each other. They form consensus on how a ledger, how a state is kept um, in a centralized sort of uh, well, it's distributed ledger and they all agree on the state of things. And that's the fundamental part of it. So when if I sent you an asset, um, we wouldn't need an intermediary to do that. It would just be I would send something to you and the network would make sure that that transaction happened and the ledger was updated. And that's done through a whole network of, uh, like I say, independent node operators. The independent nodes are important for not just some intellectual concepts about decentralization, but it's very, very important for uh, the security of the network, for resiliency, plus censorship resistance as well. So you can't undo these transactions and you can't stop the transactions happening. So how can firms use that? So I've, I've read about, you know, the bigger banks are starting to use this. I know from Vermeg, we connect we connect into Ethereum and a few other blockchains as well, as we do um, from our platforms. But from a firm's perspective, how can they utilize this and how can, is this, you know, is this secure? Or is it, you, get the, you get the typical questions from, from clients is, you know, how secure is it? How, you know, we're reading all this stuff in the news and, and all that. How secure is it? But ultimately, how can they utilize it? You know, what's, what's their benefits from connecting to a blockchain? 
So I think if we take a step back on the blockchains and think about it, they've they're built with the open source environment. So they're open, fully open for anyone to read. And it's actually, it places them in a very adversarial environment. So people are constantly probing these blockchains to look for structural weaknesses in the software, in the design, and also the economic exploits. And occasionally they find them. Generally, they find them on the application layers rather than the infrastructure itself. So the infrastructure is probably, I would say, some of the most robust infrastructure you'll ever find because of this incessant attacking people have incentives to attack they get either paid by bounty bugs or just they're doing it to steal or whatever so from that point of view from a business point of view you're building on a very very robust layer what you then do on top of that is the advantage then of having a public ledger is you're sharing information and you're updating records that are held between you all so in the more traditional worlds we spend I don't know how many millions a year reconciling data and clarifying, oh, did you mean that? Was that sent? No, I did that by accident. No, I mean this by this instrument. All of that ambiguity goes away. You know that when you're talking about an interest rate swap held on a blockchain, it's got a taxonomy, it's standardized, and everyone knows they've got the same instrument. So I think those are big advantages. And then there's a massive, massive untapped potential for automation. So a lot of the tasks that we do in institutions at the moment is, you know, we've tried to automate them over decades, but there's still a lot of manual processing. And a lot of this kind of automation can happen in between institutions. And we cut out some of the middle intermediaries that is done in such a way that you're not introducing any further risk by doing that. So the cryptography and the automation secures it and mitigates the risks that you'd otherwise think would come in yeah that's um that's interesting because that helps firms to understand the landscape of how to connect into it and what the benefits are in terms of reconciliations and knowing everything is standard i think the idea is having having a standard playing field from everyone makes life a lot easier just to kind of touch upon that now you you talk we talked about the blockchain how you how firms can utilize it but then We've been hearing a lot about the CBDC, so the central bank digital currencies. We've seen the papers papers released by the UK regulator, India and China, obviously leading this discussion as well. How do you see that then playing into this whole new ecosystem? So I'm, I'm a bit mixed about CBDCs because I think the, the banks are being a bit quick out of the gun, uh, off the mark, as it were. I don't know, mixing my metaphors here, but they... Um, I think they're jumping on the technology. The technology can do a lot of what they do, but they need to consider a lot, an awful lot of other issues. So from a wholesale point of view, I think it's absolutely brilliant. So, you know, the Bank of England making trans or doing transactions with uh, the Bundesbank in Germany, whatever, using a, a network of, um, of digital currency it's a really, really quick, nice and easy way of doing things. You get the instant settlement. You don't have the correspondence banks. You don't have all the paraphernalia around that. So from that point of view, I think it's it's a really good way of doing things. It can be all controlled by the Bank of International Settlements. You, you can do transfers amongst each other. You could even introduce some of the DeFi concepts of automated market makers. So BIS would create liquidity pools and people could then swap currencies back and forth. So I'm quite a fan of that. Where I'm less of a fan of, and you hear glimpses of it for the retail side of things, is 
you suddenly have an entity that can track and trace everybody's spending, which is a bit of a problem because you're trying to balance that with your right to enjoy some freedoms on, you know, keeping some of that private. How I spend my money is, is uh, at the moment is my business. Yes, some private companies understand from my credit card transactions what I'm doing. Some shops keep data on what I did. Websites keep whatever they do. But no one has the overall picture. But if a bank, central bank, started monitoring addresses, exactly they would know that I bought a newspaper at 10 o'clock that morning. I then went and bought a cappuccino half an hour later and so on and so forth. And my spending patterns are then open to, to be traced by central bank who would probably have an idea of who that address belongs to because they would insist on some kind of AML, KYC onboarding. So that's where I think there's a lot more debate needed. And there's two thoughts to this, isn't it? It's very big brother kind of look onto it. But also it's um, it controls the shocks in the market, right? We can see what's happening, hopefully foresee any potential issues in the in the market and can kind of address those quickly. So yeah, I think there's there, there is there is a lot more discussion that needs to happen. My sense is that they're trying to jump on this quite quickly because they feel like they've been so late to the market in crypto and it's you know it's, it's just kind of run away. This kind of becomes a bit more controlled. And also, the other thing that I, it's quite interesting for me is if we look at CBDCs, but also if we look at the, when we talk about crypto, you know, it's it's still new, it's still unregulated, it's still a huge amount of risk, and there's no real history behind it. But then we look at the digital securities, how that has a bit more, you know, the old traditional format, uh, but going into a, a digital method, how that still has its uh, historical viewpoints, it feels a bit more safer, you know, how do you see the crypto versus digital kind of um, environment playing out? I think um, I think we do have some quite handy legislation around. So if you think about the e-money licenses, so when mm. you know people talked about digital currencies before blockchain came along, you know it's, it was about electronic money transfers for enabling um, e-commerce. So like the European laws on e-money has been well established for many years, and that's what the likes of PayPal and Revolut and all those guys use. So I think if we can use that as a framework to say, well, you know, we've got something that's established, it's well understood. So that's probably a better model for digital currencies than, say, trying to invent the thing from scratch because like, the e-money thing works. You know, you, you know what the capital requirements are, you know, what the licensing are, you know, what the infrastructure is, how you set it up, what the fit and proper people are, etc. So I think that's if, we, if we're a bit smart in how we work on this, there are bits of frameworks we can use that are well tra- tested and tried. It's not we've got a blank piece of paper here. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point about e-money, actually. I still think there's a lot to do in terms of bringing that whole kind of framework together. And just kind of touching on that now, obviously we've seen the recent FTX fiasco. How has that impacted the market? And obviously there's, you know, that, is it, I told you so, or the market lost confidence in crypto, or, I mean, you saw Bitcoin value drop massively, but, so yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from your your point of view on that. Well, I think the problem is it's, uh, it's 2022 has been the, you know, most horrible year for crypto. We've seen wave after wave of particularly bad news. And we started off in the summer with the spectacular collapse of um, <clears throat> of Luna Terra and uh, watching how a stable coin can very, very rapidly unravel. 
and it unraveled for a very good reason is that the model itself was fundamentally flawed you know the way it was done it wasn't you know it just took someone with a bit of research to figure out how to break the bridge which is what people always do they try and break pegs you know George Soros famously did it and uh, the ERM system you know so there's a long history of all this sort of stuff and people will where there's a peg probe where the weaknesses are and if your economic model doesn't stand up you get found out so you contrast that with MakerDAO and their dye product god that's robust it's got vaults it's got collateral it's got margin it's got auto liquidations and people hammer it and hammer it and hammer it, and it still stands up and you can throw anything at it. It's bulletproof. So that's the contrast between the models. So it's not that crypto is bad in itself. And then, you know, we, that started really looking at what, what crypto did in the summer. And then we have FTX come along. Now, FTX was, I don't think we've really seen everything that's come out yet. We've, we've got glimpses of a very poorly managed company, no checks and balances, one person sort of, I'm not sure it's done intentionally. It may have been and may not have been. I'm, I'm not one to judge. But when you've got such poor governance, no segregation of duty, no real clarity about what your customer assets are for, how you use them, etc., then that's not good. So I think my assessment at crypto at the moment is we're staggering around punch drunk. You know, there's still stuff coming out, you know, is Genesis in trouble, is Silver Lake in trouble? You know, there's questions around all the institutions. And naturally, it's a nice crisis and people use it as an opportunity. You know, don't waste a crisis, they say. So it's more nuanced than just the told you so. I think there's there's always that brigade. People have always said, you know, crypto is there for criminals and ponzi scheme or whatever and they're not going to change their minds and this is further ammunition for them to say look you know the whole thing should just disappear you've then got a kind of i wouldn't call it regulatory backlash but there is regulators being asked some serious questions like you know it was on your watch what did you do and so a knee jerk there might be a bit of fortuitous lobbying from the incumbents to say come on guys crack down on them make them do our rules to put out the barriers to entry and we'll stop some of this uh, stealing of our territory as it were strangely you've got the decentralized finance lot who are you know they they, they revel in being fully decentralized autonomous uh, anonymous where possible they have taken a strange view on this by just basically saying wouldn't have happened with us because you know like the example i gave of die it's fully automated and they have a point However, they work in a bubble. You know, their world isn't really connected to anything else. But at some point, regulations will need to touch them. And isn't it better for them to have meaningful conversations and educate regulators and work together with the legislators and regulators to say, look, this is what our stuff can do. This is mitigating these issues that you, you have, these concerns you have, and let's work together to get sensible frameworks out. The alternative is the regulators just drop regulations on them and they squeal because they had no input so that's another dynamic going on as well and then you've got the large centralized exchanges um they have an agenda as well to say look you know we're well run we would never do anything like ftx we welcome licenses um further regulation because it gives them a competitive advantage they've already established themselves they won't get pushed out by startups because you know, 
it's costly to get the compliance departments put together, the capital requirements and so on, but the big players can already do that. So let's say it's it's quite complex of who's jostling for what at the moment, but like I say, the industry is staggering punch drunk. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I, and I, to me, seeing that, I mean, FTX is just one example, right? There's been multiple this year. Yeah, yeah you're right. I think we've all forgotten about that, and FTX has taken the uh, taken the stage really. But that my my impression is that it would have at least kicked the regulators into a bit more. Let's hurry this along because it's it's not it's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. That's quite obvious. And it, you know, just to kind of add to that, your opinion actually on the regulatory landscape and the horizon between obviously now we're looking into twenty twenty three and beyond. Where do you see that lying, you know, for yourself and, you know, for your industry and how, how it will work or how do you plan it or how would you want to see it coming together? Well, I think in, in, in Europe we've seen the very welcome Mika Act. It's not perfect, but what it does do, it's, reg, it's an EU regulation. So that means it goes across 27. It's not a directive that the national parliaments can tweak and amend and adapt to their own benefits. This is across Europe. So that means you've got regulatory certainty right across the block. So it means you have, you know, full passporting. If you register in one country, that gives you a market of 400 odd million people. So that's a fairly good starting point. The travel rule directive as well is coming in, which also gives a bit more certainty around what your money, anti-money laundering objectives are, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I welcome things like that because at least you know what rules you're playing in. There's also quite a lot of movement as well from ESMA, looking at the DLT pilot scheme. The UK is doing the same. They're doing sensible consultations, um, working with the industry to come up with laws and rules around this. I think the big elephant in the room is what the US does. You know, it's at state level. They're using strange legislation to regulate them. There's retrospective powers of the SEC to suddenly turn around and say, ah, no, you're a security all along. We'll give you a fine. And it's all tested in the courts. That's a nightmare if you're in crypto. You want certainty. You know, you don't want this, am I, aren't I, breaking the law today? Or, you know, was that yesterday I was breaking the law by accident? I didn't know about it. And so on. Yeah. So I think I, I welcome some kind of regulatory certainty. Martin, thank you for that. And kind of lastly, what's your what's the plans for, for next year for, for you and, and your firm? So we've got a, a blockchain that is is regulatory friendly. So we put some mechanisms in that help businesses basically create a corner of the blockchain for themselves that they're in charge of and they know who's, who's on board and they can comply with money laundering, anti-money laundering, KYC, etc. regulations. Why it's interesting is we're, we're getting quite a few businesses with some really interesting ideas of what they can use the technology for. So we're very much a business-focused chain. And we've seen, I would say in the last couple of months, more activity than ever. People are thinking about it. So in some ways, popping the bubble of all that speculative frenzy and you know, arguably what people are calling Ponzi schemes is actually quite healthy because it means that the serious players now get a bit of oxygen to come and develop and do and make and build things. And it'll become, I think, quite a virtuous circle because as all the various players come on board, they'll be building tools they need. So we'll solve some of the custody issues. We'll solve um, some of maybe even the, the, the regulatory reporting aspect of it. 
we'll get more clarity of that from the regulators and so on so i think it's um it's i'm very optimistic for next year even though we've got all the the signs of a, of a big crypto winter i think that some of that froth disappearing from the market is actually very healthy yeah it's gonna be a winter of discontent isn't it from, from crypto point of view but yeah you're right and, and i know we're going to be talking a lot more in the future between how we how we talk to each other softwares martin really appreciate your time thank you so much for that i know we're gonna we're definitely gonna have more sessions and go far deeper into into this um i think it's a really interesting topic to to cover martin so thank you so much martin have a good christmas that's been a pleasure thank you for having me merry christmas to you too